Are you ready to make some real good learning? You've come to the right place. Welcome to the Good Learning Podcast, where we dive deep into real world examples of real good learning as told by the best L&D professionals in the field. I'm your host, Sarah Canistra, founder and chief learning strategist at the Good Learning Agency, a boutique fractional CLO agency advising on corporate learning strategy that's aligned, effective, and approachable. At Good Learning, we believe over-the-top results don't require over-the-top learning. Each episode, we'll take a holistic look at a specific learning intervention, how it came to fruition, what went into developing it, how it was measured, lessons learned, and so much more. You'll hear from real-life L&D practitioners from all over the world who are doing the work and making some real good learning happen while doing it. No matter what your function is inside of your organization or team, we're all responsible for creating real good learning. Now, let's go see how it's done. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of the Good Learning Podcast. I hope you all are enjoying the show so far and getting a lot of good learning from it, doing a lot of good learning from it as well. I know I am going back listening to the episodes after having recorded them a little while ago, uh, just picking up some nuggets of information that I didn't get the first time around has been so exciting for me, and I hope it's been the same for you. And we are back with another amazing episode, another amazing guest, um, another amazing friend of mine who we have worked together for quite some time. We have Emma Strong on the podcast today. And Emma was a former career coaching client of mine who landed an incredible role for a court reporting organization several years ago. And she has worked her way up now to be the senior L&D program manager there. And she focuses a lot on employee onboarding. So you're going to meet her today. She's an experienced L&D professional with a passion for effective, impactful learning solutions. Like I mentioned before, her primary focus is employee onboarding, which is what we're going to talk about today. As a senior L&D program manager, she develops e-learning courses, designs learning programs, and provides administrative support for L&D initiatives at her organization. Prior to her role in learning and development, Emma spent seven years working in the higher education field. And in addition to her day job, she also consults with clients as a one-on-one and private resume coach. Emma is absolutely incredible. I know that you all will glean so much information from her in terms of how she's not only created, but recreated the onboarding program at her organization to be really, really good. So without further ado, let's welcome Emma to the show. All right, Emma Strong, welcome to the Good Learning Podcast. I am so excited, as I just squealed before we hit the record button, I'm so excited to have you on the podcast. How are you? I'm great. How are you? I'm good. Obviously, very, very excited to to have you here. So uh, Emma and I are, above everything, very close friends. So I want to say that. And we have had a long history of working together and a client relationship uh, that turned into a friendship and uh, turned into being colleagues at some points too. So I'm just so excited to have you on here. I've been able to watch you grow into your role, which I'm going to have you explain to us uh, what it is you do in just a minute, but I'm just so happy to have you on here to be able to share just this, this wealth of knowledge that you bring to us. So Tell us about you. I know everyone can hear how excited I am, but you tell us about you, uh, where you work, and a little bit about your role. 
Yeah, so I uh, live in Oakland, California. I'm originally from the Seattle area, though. Um, so West Coast all the time. Um, and I work at a company called Veritext. Um, it's a court reporting company primarily, although we do other legal services as well. And so most people are not familiar with what that means. Um, basically, what it means is that when lawyers and law firms take depositions, they need someone to take down the record in written form um, and produce a transcript of that proceeding. And our company handles a lot of the pieces of that process. Um, what I do for them is I am a senior learning and development program manager. Um, and what that means is that I focus a lot on onboarding, which is what I'm going to talk about today is my onboarding program. But um, I do other other projects as well as the needs arise. Um, and I'm part of a small team. There's four of us on our team, including my director. Um, and yeah, we we do all things learning and development for a multinational company. We're in the US and Canada and the company itself is about 1400 employees. So um, kind of mid-sized, but Awesome. So I know you mentioned onboarding was what we're going to be talking about today. So when you're thinking about you know that program, what was the business challenge or change that you were solving for? Like what what did what did leadership come to you all and say, hey, we have this problem? You know, what problem did you uncover that led to you creating the program we're going to talk about today? Absolutely. So I actually was hired basically to create the onboarding program. That was my main responsibility when I was originally hired. So they had actually identified this as a need before I even started. Um, I did do kind of a mini, I would say needs analysis once I got there as well to sort of further define what the problem and the challenge was. Um, but basically what they were facing was that there wasn't a lot of consistency in onboarding for new hires overall. So our company has, we're organized regionally. So we have seven different regions plus a corporate division that all operate collaboratively, but somewhat independently. And then the company also grows a lot via acquisitions. And so when we acquire a new business, they don't always like assimilate to all of our processes seamlessly right away. That's the effort that's made, but like, we had, and we end up having a lot of different subsets of the business that are doing things slightly differently sometimes. So that was a challenge they were facing. Um, and there was also no live component of onboarding other than one meeting that was about benefits and then a slight company overview at the same time. Otherwise, it was all done via e-learning for the company-wide portion. Obviously, managers are doing their own onboarding with their new hires as well, but as far as from an organizational standpoint, there wasn't a lot of consistency and there wasn't a lot of like live component happening. Uh, I feel like people listening will just, I feel like everyone is just probably shaking their head listening to what you just said, right? Of this, it's, it's so common that we see organizations that yes, they're all one company, yet they operate. Yet they're at the core, they're all doing the same thing, but there's that independence. And it's like, how do you, how do you start to balance them still having some of their own independence and at the same time, making sure that as they're walking people into the company, 
that they're all having a uniformed good experience, right? Maybe that might look a little bit different depending on the region or their role, obviously, but that overall uniformly they're having you know, a really solid onboarding experience that allows them to become productive faster and assimilate in there. So I, I don't think you are uh, alone in that in that challenge. Uh, and I'm really excited for us to dive into really what that solution looked like. So I'd love to hear, you know, high level and you can drill into some details too. What was the solution you were brought in? You are you besides you being the solution. Uh, what was the solution that was developed to really help solve for that, you know, independence yet still, you know, making sure that you want to have a uniform experience? Yeah, so um, the other thing that was really lucky when I first started was that they were already, uh, the organization was already on board with the idea of creating a cohort style onboarding program. And I'm actually not sure. I believe that idea originated with my manager because she was in her role as the director of learning and development for about six months before I got hired. And she was the only L&D person during that time. Um, but I don't actually know fully the origin of that idea. Um, but everyone in leadership was already supportive of the idea of doing cohort-based hiring. So in other words, like hiring most people to start on like a shared start date and then have a shared experience from that start date onward. So we do cohorts every two to three weeks. Um, we often have people who do start off of those cohort dates, but it's the minority of people. Um, so usually if every cohort we have like one or two that are starting on an off week and then they just join the cohort, you know, when they catch up to us. But um, most people are at this point are starting on those cohort start dates. And so what that allowed me to do was basically design a program where it's a shared first week experience for them from that start date through the Friday of that week. Um, and so what that entails is it's a series of live training sessions over the course of the week. Um, in kind of tandem with that, they also have their e-learning that they're doing in our LMS. Um, they have practice uh, exercises that they do in a practice environment of our software because we have a proprietary software that most people at the company use on a daily basis. So that's new for everybody that joins our company unless they worked for us previously. And then the piece that extends past the first week that I organized is a buddy system program where they do some shadowing and then some check-ins with a buddy that's in a similar job function to them. That program in total lasts for six weeks. So it extends beyond that first week, but it's pretty hands-off for me. Once I get them paired up, it's up to the buddy and the new hire to set their time and, um, you know, figure out when they're going to meet and all that kind of stuff. Um, but the biggest piece that I'm hands-on with is those live training sessions. So we have two or three training sessions per day over the course of that first week. Um, and they're either 30 minutes or an hour. And they cover everything from like a general welcome to the company, to our products and services, to just like a cohort check-in where we like play games and just kind of get to know each other a little bit um, and things like that. So um, that's that's the program that I designed. I love that. So when you think about all those moving parts, right? So you have the, there's, there, there's still some of that e-learning. So that 
that was the, what it was before, right? So you're still utilizing right. some of that as a component. You have the buddy system, you have the cohorts, you have those 30 to one hour, you know, live training sessions. What what did you utilize to help form or inform the strategy of bringing all of those components together into this program? Yeah, so um, I did do a sort of, I would call it like a mini needs analysis in a way. It wasn't like a, you know, extensive months and months long process of sort of identifying the problem because the problem was already sort of identified when I got there. Um, but I did do interviews with recently onboarded employees, like who, people who had been onboarded within the last year um, to just get their take on things. That was kind of interesting because it just happened that a lot of the people that I talked to were folks that joined the company via the acquisition process. So if I were to do it again, I would probably try to focus on the folks that were hired individually. I just didn't realize how many people had joined the organization via acquisition previously. Um, so that was kind of interesting, but it was still informative to hear their experiences as well um, and hear about how they kind of assimilated into our company or the challenges that they faced when they were trying to do that. Um, I had a lot of conversations with my manager as well because she, although she was new to the L&D director role, she's worked for this company off and on for like 20 years in different roles. And so she has a pretty good understanding of the organization and how it functions. Um, and the types of challenges that are faced by the organization. And so um, those conversations with her were really helpful. Um, and then also just drawing on like just my own past experience. I've onboarded in a variety of contexts previously. And so just drawing on some of that past experience. Um, and then the last thing that informed my strategy was the learning cluster design model, which I know you're a big fan of. Mm -hmm. um, but the, the thing that I specifically focused on out of that model was the idea of learning touch points, which essentially means that you have components of a learning intervention that are formalized, that are social, and that are um, the independent um, learning interventions where you can access them at any time. Um, so independent? No. Immediate. Immediate. Thank you. Okay. So social, social <laughs> formal, and immediate. There we go. Uh, I knew it was an I word, but I'm blanking on it. Um, but the, the, so we have the immediate portion with the e-learning, and that's also kind of formal as well. Um, and the piece that was missing was the social. That was not there at all in terms of the company-wide program previously. Um, and then the instructor-led training sessions are also somewhat formal, but they have a social component too. We do an icebreaker in every single one, pretty much. Um, and so it's kind of combining the formal and the social together. I love that. And it sounds like too, I mean, just to, to recap that last point that you made of like, there wasn't any social component. And when we think about onboarding in general and, and that assimilating to a new company, it can be very isolating whether you're you know a new employee just hired you know in, into the role or if you're part of an acquisition right and regardless it can be really isolating so it, it i love how you indexed appropriately of hey here's a here's a component of piece that's missing and how do we now not only infuse this in one part but how do we even break in little pieces of that social component maybe it, it is in, in something immediate or in something formal that you're you're still infusing that in there too so i i, I love that 
that really stood out to me. And the other thing that stood out to me too was you talking about doing a mini analysis. And I think so many people, and you, you joked about it, right? It's like so many people think that we have to do these big, long, huge, drawn out, you know, analyses, but your business already did some analysis and came, you know, found out what the gap was. What you did, and I love this, and I hope people are, can take this away, is you took the bigger gap. And you said, okay, now how can I how can I drill in to some of those, you know, what are the what are the smaller gaps that are making up this bigger gap too, uh, which ends up being, you know, our responsibility as learning and development. So I love that you did that and you showcased too that it doesn't have to be this long drawn out, you know, analyses. That's great, but we don't always have the time to do that. What's that low hanging fruit? Oh well, I'm designing a program for people who are getting onboarded. Why don't I go talk to some people who are just onboarded? and see how their experience was and try to find that golden thread. So I really love that you utilized kind of different components to form that strategy uh, that were all you know, things that were available to you that didn't take a lot of time, especially it sounds like, you know, your manager had been seeing this gap for a while, the company's seeing this gap for a while, and it doesn't sound like you had, you were able to come in and have a year to, to figure out what your strategy would be. Yeah, I was going to say the time frame was I was hired in mid-May and the program launched in January of the following year. So it was about six months of like planning and analysis time. Um, but that included like building out all the live sessions, lining up guest speakers, like communicating with managers. Like there was a lot of other stuff besides just the needs analysis that had to happen in that time frame. So really the needs analysis portion I would say I didn't spend more than like three months on that piece. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. Sometimes we just don't have the time to, to do all of that and that's okay. We can still create really good learning you know, if, if we're finding the right, the right things to drill into. And I love how you went to the source of, you know, who, who's the one experiencing, you know, this, this pain or, or, or something hearing too, like what has been working. I think that's an important piece too, where it's, oh yeah, this is working great. We don't need to change this. I think that's another thing a lot of people get caught up with. All right. I found out all these pain points and I have to fix for all these pain points, but did you find out what's actually working and what are things that you can continue doing too? Mm -hmm. What, um, what would you say if you think back to, I mean, obviously at that time it was just you and your manager, um, now you have a little bit of a bigger team, but what skills did you personally utilize and or, you know, you and your manager at that time, like what did you utilize or leverage of your own personal skill set to be able to develop this learning solution, this onboarding program? Yeah, so I would say one of the big skills that I didn't necessarily utilize this in the development, but I definitely utilize it in the implementation is just facilitation skills because even when we have a guest speaker, when we first started, I was on every single live training session, every single cohort helping to facilitate those sessions. And that's actually still kind of true, although it's about to change because I have an employee now who helps me with these and she's been getting up to speed on how to facilitate these sessions. So pretty soon we're going to start trading off and having only one of us on each of those sessions. But for basically a year and a half, it's been me on all of those sessions every single time with a different people rotating through other team members from L&D or other guest speakers from the organization rotating through um, as needed. So facilitation is definitely a big one. Um, going along with that in more of the development phase, it was designing all of those instructor-led training sessions. So like ILT session design, I would say is kind of a, a skill. So 
you know, that includes like graphic design with slide decks and things like that. And also just like kind of experience design. I don't know if that's really a, a term that people use, I guess it is. <laughs> um, but uh, designing, you know, how's the session going to flow? What types of activities are we gonna use? Interaction versus listening, like all that kind of stuff. Um, collaboration with our guest speakers. So um, making sure that I'm working with those guest speakers to figure out what content they wanna present and how does that fit with like the vision that I have um, and kind of working together on that. Um, and then I would say also, um, I think this is kind of a, a buzzword that might be overused at times, but uh, like the idea of like agile design um, because the program was definitely not perfect when it launched. It was just my best estimation of what was going to work. And so we started it and then every, almost every cohort in the beginning, we were making tweaks and changes um, and updating things. And then there were a few kind of like big updates. Like at one point I changed the schedule of when the sessions were happening because I realized that a lot of them were falling during the lunch hour for Eastern time and we hire a lot in Eastern time. So like that didn't make sense. Um, and things like that. So um, definitely keeping that sort of agile approach of just like try it and then see how it goes and then iterate as you go was a big one. Yeah, that's huge. And I think so many people get caught up in creating this idea of perfect learning. This podcast is called Good Learning, Not Perfect Learning, because uh, perfect, I say perfection is a mountain with no peak, right? And so it's really important, I think, that skill of being agile, being flexible, of it is a skill to not be a perfectionist, I think, especially in learning and development, because like, we want people to have it's really a wonderful experience, but being able to say, hey, this is 80% and it's gonna it's gonna move the needle. Maybe it doesn't move the needle as much as we will want it to eventually, but it's gonna move the needle somewhat and we're gonna get feedback and we're gonna iterate and we're going to you know make it better and better and better until it gets to a point where it's moved the needle where we need it to be. And then then we start looking at it more quarterly or you know every you know every six months or or once a year too. So I think that's a really important skill that people in learning and development it was something I learned early on. Uh, I was actually something I learned kind of mid in my career because early on I wanted everything to be perfect before it went out. And when we do that, we keep people from actually getting the information that that they need. You know, people don't expect. I think on the receiving end, like we don't expect perfection. We just expect to be able to do our jobs and do it well and assimilate in the organization. Um, but no one's looking for no one's looking for perfect. So I, I love that you call that out as a skill to utilize because. So many learning practitioners I see want to make it perfect before they roll it out. And there's there's no such thing as that. So I really appreciate you calling that that last piece out uh, as something that was a skill that you had to to leverage and, and grow yourself too. Yeah. And to your point about people aren't expecting perfection, I've been doing, we'll talk about measurement in a little bit, but I've been doing um, program evaluations from our participants from the start. And right away in the first cohort, I got someone saying it was the best onboarding they'd ever had on a company. And so like, even in its first iteration, that was definitely not as good as it is now, I was getting really positive feedback from folks. And so people were appreciating what we were trying to do, even when it wasn't perfect. So, yeah. 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 It's something, I mean, we talked about learning cluster design, but something that 
Crystal, uh, who's one of the authors of, of the book Designing for Modern Learning, we talk a lot about too, and it, it, even just within the model of sometimes uh, just applying 10%, right? Well, now it's it's 10% better. It's okay if it's not 100% better too. And so I love that you took that approach of, hey, this is incrementally better than it was before. And for someone in coming in, right? If, if you would have waited, right? Imagine that person that gave you that review, right? If you would have waited and said, oh, it's not, it's not perfect yet. It's not ready yet. You know, all those things we tell ourselves, that person would not have had the best onboarding experience they ever had in their life, you know? So it's, right. we keep, we keep people from experiencing those things just because we're hard on ourselves or we don't think it's, it's good enough. But when we take that agile approach of, Hey, this is going to move the needle. Let's, let's put it out there and then see, let's get some reactions and let's make it better the next time, the next time, the next time too. So I love that that was, that was part of your philosophy and it's a skill. It's not just a philosophy. It's a skill to be able to do that too. So um, I really appreciate that. And so on that same kind of vein, when we think about there's obviously the skills, but then there's the tools and the technology piece, too. So as you were creating this, developing it, rolling it out, implementing it as you are continuing to do, what tools and technology did you use and are you still actively using? Um, yeah, so one of the big tools just rolled standard tool but one that i use a lot is just powerpoint um that's where all of our all of our slide decks are they're in powerpoint we're starting to move more to canva because canva has improved so much over the last few years in terms of their capabilities with slide decks but all my decks for onboarding are still in powerpoint because i also have to send them to people and like you know all that kind of stuff it's just easier to have them in in one drive in a powerpoint format um so definitely powerpoint um also WordPress because our intranet is on a WordPress site. And so this was a big improvement that happened probably about eight or nine months into the program launching is we got our marketing team to help us create an entire set of pages in our intranet for the onboarding experience. And so the marketing team established those pages and kind of set the the shell for them and then I populate the content and now I maintain the content for them. Um, so we have like a recap page for every single day of the week that has the recordings of the sessions in video form, it has extra resources for further learning, it has a summary of what we did that day uh, and like other things they should be doing and spending their time on if they're not sure how to spend their time that day and that kind of thing. And then we have a whole page for managers as well explaining the manager perspective of the onboarding program so they know what to expect. Um, so WordPress is another one. Also, we use a program called Airtable, um, which is essentially like a, if you're not familiar with it, it's essentially um, like a, it's kind of a competitor to like Google Forms, but also Excel in a way, <laughs> um, because you can make, it's a, it's a data management tool, basically. So you can make like spreadsheets, but you can, kind of categorize things and sort the data in a layered way where you can sort by multiple categories on the same spreadsheet and you can make you know forms people can fill out that feed into your data and all that kind of stuff so we use Airtable I used it as like an ideation tool for myself to kind of organize my thoughts um, so I have like a color code for each of my learning touch points that kind of thing um, and then now we use it for collecting surveys and things like that um we are big Airtable fans on my team um I love it we have yeah it's a good tool um we have an LMS uh called LearnUpon 
Um, so we use the Learn Upon LMS for the e-learning component. Um, and then I would also consider the LCD model, learning cluster design model to be a tool as well as, um, you know, what we talked about in the other context earlier, but I would also consider that to be a tool that I utilize um, as a, a design model or philosophy that I was working with. I love that. And I think too, it's just, and now that I've done so many of, of these, of, of these podcasts and hearing people, it's just so nice to and refreshing to hear, you know, the simplicity in the tech stack too. I think so many people get caught up of like, oh, I have to have the most expensive and the most, you know, like new, the newest technology when it comes to creating good learning. And sometimes we go back to basics, right? That's actually what creates the best learning because we're not getting too, not, not to, you know, completely, you know, poo-poo on, on technology because it's so helpful in so many different ways. But I think when you're clear on what your organization needs and you're finding that tech stack that aligns with that, it allows you to roll these programs out much more seamlessly because it's not too you know over the top as well. So I really love that that approach that you're all are, are taking as a team where it's like, hey, what are, hey, what do we already have and what can we use and where how can we meet people where they're at? Um, as far as technology, and I know you implemented some new tech too with the with the LMS and all of that as mm -hmm. as well too. So you had some new some new stuff to implement, but also being able to utilize some of your past tools and technology as well. Yeah, um, I'll say one tool we just recently got access to that we're excited about is Zapier. Um, so we're excited to see if we can automate more of, especially the assigning of the e-learning because. Right now, it's a semi-manual process to get, like, once you drop someone into a series, the series will run automatically, but to actually get that initiated is a manual action at this moment in time. And then we have a few other enrollment timelines that happen too. And so we're interested to see if we can utilize that tool to streamline that a little bit. I love Zapier. I use it. I was so resistant. It's so funny. I think it's like, we think about technology. I was so resistant for a while because I thought it like, like, oh my gosh, the setup on the back end, you know, and I think we resist things. And then I set it up in like two seconds. I was like, oh, wow, this now I'm like, what else can I zap? You know? <laughs> like, All right. I don't even need to show up anymore. This is great. Um, but yeah, I mean, speaking of like tools and technology and even just like things in, in general, you know, knowing what you know now, what would you do differently if you could? I know you mentioned as far as like the analysis piece and probably talking to some people who were, uh, not onboarded from a from a an acquisition but you know what would you do now as far as putting the program together maybe different tools or technology different skills that you'd utilize different ways that you'd you know roll things out would love to hear you know what you what you've learned and what you would do differently yeah i was thinking about this question ahead of time and i don't know if this is that arrogant but honestly not that much you're not the first person to say I, that so <laughs> What's that? I said you're not the first person to say that. <laughs> oh, that's funny. Yeah, because I think that obviously there's things that have changed over time, right? Like I mentioned earlier. And so there's things that I've noticed from just doing the program that I'm like, oh, that needs to be different. But I think uh, that process of just trying it and then iterating from there was really the best way to ultimately design the final product. And I wouldn't even consider what we have now the final product. Like we're still, I'm working on one of the sessions right now that hasn't been looked at for the entire time and we're redesigning it. And so 
basically as soon as one piece is redesigned, we're looking at other pieces that haven't been looked at in a while to see what needs to be updated or, or tweaked. So I think that whole approach um, to like just launch and then iterate was really the best way to design it because there's only so much you can figure out in like a vacuum without actual participants and people like doing the thing that you're trying to have them do. Um, and so, you know, if I try an icebreaker question that I think is a brilliant icebreaker question and then it's like a complete flop, like I would never know that without trying it, right? So that kind of thing, you just have to go about it and try it and then see what you want to change. Yeah. I think when you say too, right, if, if you're constantly in the mindset of like, this is an, a continuous iterative process, then you don't really have to answer the question, like, what would I do differently? Because you're, you're, you're always open to doing things differently. And you, you always, it sounds like, you know, for, especially in the beginning, you were changing things and you were doing things differently based on that immediate feedback too. So, uh, you know, and I get to your point, there's not really, you wouldn't have, you don't know what you don't know until sometimes you launch it and you see the reaction or you see, you know, the lack of reaction in, in some cases too. And that allows mm -hmm. you to do things differently in the moment. So it's not that you didn't do anything differently. It's just that you, you launched it. And then all the, all the edits and updates you were making were in that real time. And again, like we talked about yeah. earlier, not, not at the expense of the experience of people as well. Right. Yeah. We're always doing things differently. Like every, every couple of cohorts, it's a little bit different or, you know, whether it's just like a very minor update to a slide, it's like, you know, like we have a slide about our DEI strategy. And so it used to be, what are we doing in 2022? It's not 2022 anymore. We got to update that. Like, you know, very minor things that was like, are very obvious and then there's also other things that are like more structural or not as obvious um, that are being updated too yeah so how are you a program like this obviously it's robust and it's it's ever changing and ever moving and uh how are you measuring the success of this program ongoing so we're measuring it in two different primary ways um the first is at the very last session of the week, we have like a wrap up session with the cohort participants. And so I have a few polling questions that I launch just in that Zoom and then take screenshots of the answers so we can capture the answers and store them for later. And when we actually just went through an exercise of kind of like collecting that data into a spreadsheet, which I hadn't done previously. So I had like almost a year and a half of screenshots that needed to be put into a spreadsheet. Um, that was fun. But uh, just the, they're basically like four statements and they're things like, you know, I feel welcome at Veritext or I know where I can contact for help and things like that. And people just rate how much they agree or disagree with the statement. It's very quick, um, but that was just a way of capturing some initial like in the moment feedback with an almost 100% response rate because people are right there in the session doing it. So that's the benefit of doing it that way, I think, is that you get a much higher response rate. So that's one small piece. And then the bigger piece, I would say, is just surveys. Um, so we do surveys of participants, of managers, and of the buddies in the buddy system. Um, and the people who are in the buddy system as participants get a specific survey about that piece of the experience as well. So we really have like three different surveys for different populations, and then they're, you know, adjusted for which side of the equation they're on. Um, I will say we have a really high response rate for those surveys, generally speaking, um, especially the participant survey that comes out about two weeks after the experience. I think we have like 
40% or higher response rate, maybe, um, maybe even higher, um, which I think is kind of a bit of feedback in and of itself that they are willing to sit down and go through a survey that asks them to do free response questions, which that's the majority of the survey is like three or four free response questions. And we get almost everyone filling those out. Um, and they also do some more kind of numerical stuff like they rate the program on a five-star scale. And I think we've got like an average of like 4.7 stars or something like that, maybe a little higher. Um, and then with managers, we're also asking them to think back to before this program existed and what their, how much time they're spending onboarding their new hires before this program existed and then after the program existed. And so um, that's because one of our goals was to also save managers time in the onboarding process. And so we can compare those two questions and see like what's the difference there as far as time spent on onboarding new hires per week. Um, and we have some managers reporting saving as much as like 10 to 15 hours per week over the course of the first few weeks um, in terms of onboarding time. So, yeah. That's incredible. And then they become the champions, right? Like for them, mm -hmm. and it, that creates such a wonderful culture of supporting onboarding. Cause I know a lot of, a lot of, I know in my own experience and people I work with that sometimes getting the managers on board, especially something like that you're doing where you're kind of taking them away from work, quote unquote, you know, I mean, they can't right. work yet. They just started like five seconds ago, but you know, <laughs> like that you're taking their, 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 their butt out of their seat essentially. And that can be really overwhelming for managers to think like, oh, my person's not here. Like, are they getting the right training? All of that stuff. So, you know, I think one of the things that I know just from knowing you, like I know that you you did did really well was that you know the selling it to the managers and getting their buy-in. And now that you've created this really beautiful culture where they're seeing their own like what's in it for me, right? Like they're getting that time back to be able to to work and to do the work that they need to be do have done and then to focus on the real important things that they need to do as part of onboarding versus maybe some of the things that, you know, not that it's not important, but that things that maybe felt they weren't able to to really show up for or give them the full experience for and so I, I love that you're you have that component where you're figuring out as part of your measuring of success how much time is being saved from the managers because then I feel like that feeds into the culture of training of like oh wow every time I see my person you know to get trained or to be a part of this like I'm going to be getting you know time back and they're going to come back excited you know prepared and those things too so that also mm -hmm. probably then equates to them encouraging them to fill out the surveys and like there's just you create this whole this whole little like learning ecosystem uh, from a team basis by getting that that buy-in as well so that's something that I think a lot of people don't focus on and they wonder where the kink in the chain is and a lot of times it's you know the manager buy-in and you're saying hey you want to save 10 to 15 hours of time mm -hmm. like oh my gosh yeah sign, sign me up for a and, week like, for the first few weeks not per just, week so yeah total per week like, and, yeah and you do the math of like oh, like how many hours that is and it's like you know it's it's a game changer for so many people but if you're not asking those questions and you're not getting the answers and it's hard to if you're not measuring that level of success it's hard to then use it to then sell it back to people who maybe who are new managers maybe didn't buy into it at first too so i love that that was so you're measuring you're measuring so many key components that allow you to take that big overall kind of 20,000 foot view to say, hey, here, here is success. And here's what success looks like for us. So I think that's really awesome. So 
this program is amazing. Obviously, continuing, it's ongoing, it's living, it's breathing, it's you know doing doing its thing, and you're doing you're doing your thing. Uh, what are you working on next? What's kind of the big the big next big project for Emma? Next big project for Veritex from a learning and development perspective. What's on what's on the agenda? Yeah, so I would say the theme right now on our team is manager development um, because there hasn't been a lot of sort of centralized L&D led manager training possibly ever at this company. I'm not entirely sure about the far back history, but it seems like it's a pretty new thing for folks. Um, so that includes things like running a mentorship program and we're partnering with Life Labs Learning to run a program, which is really exciting because they do great content um, and things like that. And then where my piece of that comes in with the onboarding focus is I'm working on something that I'm loosely calling like onboarding phase two, <laughs> which is essentially supporting managers in their role in the onboarding process. So right now the cohort happens, it's kind of a time bounded experience other than the buddy system, which extends beyond the first week. But that first week is kind of the time bound experience where they're intensive with L&D and then we just sort of hand them off to the managers and it's like, okay, go. Um, and I wanna, provide more sort of like support and structure around that like okay go stage <laughs> um so i i'm still figuring out what that looks like exactly i think it's going to be i'm i'm thinking of making uh kind of a a learning cluster of sorts around it with some live training components possibly some e-learning um and some of the things i want to focus on is just like First of all, what makes a good onboarding experience? I don't know if everyone really knows that. Um, what's like a reasonable time frame for onboarding based on research and data? Um, what is the concept of like scaffolding somebody's learning? So like, you know, supporting them more at the beginning and then as they gain competency, adjusting your level of support to their level of competency, like those type of things. Um, and so I'm not going to be super prescriptive as far as specific job functions and like you should do this checklist of like these five tasks, you know, in the first two weeks or whatever, because there's so many departments and I'm only one person. Um, and also the, that's where all the regional differences come in as well. I didn't talk about this earlier, but in the legal space, there's actually like regulations and laws around legal services that vary from state to state. And so there's like more variation in our company i think regionally than possibly even others for that reason and so i don't i can't get super prescriptive on like a task list but i might ask managers to create a task list for their employees to like have that as a reference and that thing so those are some of my ideas currently i'm still very much in the planning stages of that but that's where where we're going with it i love it and then you're going back to the measuring piece right where it's like these managers these are already somewhat bought in to what it means to you know ha have an employee who is onboarded it, it gives them more gives them more desire and more reason to take something that you're doing now more seriously because they're seeing they've already seen the the impact so if they know hey this could actually impact this even better and i think mm -hmm. that just even goes back to of that the iteration if you were to have launched this and the onboarding program at the same time that might have been too much for people right so Again, being you able to face for me, that's for sure. Uh, yeah, <laughs> uh, yeah, exactly, right. And I think too much for me at one time. 
Yeah, so many people listening to either they're a team of, you know, they're an L&D team of one or a team of two, right? I mean, I, I've, most of my career has been on small, small L&D teams. I had, you know, one team where I was, you know, managing a team of, of 22, but that was you know, the exception to to the rule for the most part. You know, we see so many teams of one, two, three, four, like you all have now, and and that's it, right? So how do we, how do we, how do we think about that in terms of what we're working on now versus what we're working on next and what that integration looks like. And I think you're a prime example of, you know, what, where, where's the biggest pain point? Let's, you know, let's massage that, let's figure that out. And then now we can layer on these other pieces that are just going to make it better, just going to make that mm-hmm. experience better. So I love that. And, and speaking of that, I mean, thinking about creating good learning, obviously you are a seasoned practitioner in doing that. You are creating good learning every single day at Veritex. So what would you leave people with as your number one tip when it comes to creating good learning? So this is going to probably come as no surprise to anyone who's been listening to this episode so far. Um, But my number one tip is to just not be afraid to try something new because you can always change it as you go along. You could even go back to your old way of doing things if you completely were like, that was not the right way to go. You could revert back to how you used to do things. Um, but without trying the new thing, you'll never really know what positive outcomes could come from that. And so that's my number one tip is to just like when you have an idea about something, obviously do your research and like make sure it's not just like you in a vacuum thinking this is a good idea. But once you've done your due diligence and identified a need, like just try your idea to help address it um, and then then iterate as you go. I love that. Innovate, iterate, be agile. I think it's an <laughs> amazing tip to creating good learning. So Emma Strong, I know people are going to want to, well, everyone already loves you, but for those of you who are new to Emma and you've been living under a rock, Emma, where can people find you, connect with you, learn more about you, chat with you, all the things? Yeah, so you can definitely connect with me on LinkedIn. Um, so I think we're going to link my LinkedIn in the um, the show notes. Um, and then if this is kind of a totally separate thing from what we've been talking about, but I also have a kind of a side hustle where I review resumes for people. So if that's something that would be interesting to you, we're going to link my website as well. So you can always reach out to me about that. If you have a resume that you want me to review. Love it. Emma is the queen of resumes. She is our in-house resume coach at the L and D career club and is absolutely killing the game there too. So, you know, if this amazing, you can, yes, you can join the career club. Yes. <laughs> Lots of ways to hang out, but Emma, I appreciate you so much. You are doing such amazing work. It's been, I mean, we've known each other now for what, three years. It's been, it's been a wild, amazing ride to see, you know, how you've been able to take your strengths and skills and leverage them here and the the amount of impact that you're having. Um, just know, knowing your team and knowing them well and knowing what you bring to the table. You know, I know you're creating uh really, really, really freaking good learning every single day and our field is better for it. So thank you so much for hopping on the show today. It was a pleasure and I know it will not be the last time we have you on. I'm excited to have you come on uh, once you finish this onboarding two point manager 2.0. We'll come on and we'll dissect that also. (laughs) We'll do an update. Yes. Well, thank you, Sarah. This was really fun. You know, I was talking to you, whatever the context is, So this was super fun um, and happy to chat with you about all this today. 
Thank you so much for listening to this episode of the Good Learning Podcast. I hope you got both inspiration and practical tools that you can use to create your very own good learning. If this podcast impacted you in any way, please consider giving us a review to share your feedback. We would love to hear how you're applying tips from the show to your own work. And if you're looking for help in creating your very own good learning strategy for your organization, check out realgoodlearning.com to see how we can help.